How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I know we did uh, verses 1 to 2 yesterday, but that was kind of more the introduction to this section. So we're going to be backing up to verse 1 of chapter 4 again, just to now do kind of a walk through through this uh, bit, through this passage. And as we go through, again, as always, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights uh, regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. And uh, again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, demonstration. That's the what, the how, and the why of Scripture, what it's saying, the narrative of the text, uh, just to get a, a base idea of what exactly is going on, uh, who's talking, what's going on. And then we back up, go again through it slowly, taking a bit more time now on the detail. How is it being said? How is it being presented in all of this? And in this how, we also see how can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the Word of God. Uh, see where else it's mentioned. Also, how is it being said? We now look at the, the meanings of the words and all these kinds of things. And then finally, for the final part, demonstration the why. Why is this important to look at it this way, to adhere to this? Why should I apply it to myself to go live it, speak it, think it, do it? And with that, we also then go into our, our final point uh, as well, additionally, which is the clear interprets the unclear. Now, some people, for example, are unclear on the topic of uh, what the Bible would talk about dietary restrictions. Are there any of these kinds of things in the scriptures for us today, for the church age? Now, some people would say, yes, okay, we'll take a look. So we have to understand that uh, some people may be unclear on this. What the Bible flat out says clearly in other passages will help us to understand these others, as well as we like to use regularly, again, as the James chapter 2 argument Faith that works is dead. People like to quote that one as a salvationary uh, point, but it's not salvationary because you take a look what Paul says uh, about uh, that it's by grace through faith and not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God, not by righteous works which we have done, but a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not by uh, deeds of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. So therefore, James 2 is not talking about salvation, but he's talking about something else. And so we see the clear interprets the unclear. All right, so with that, grab your Bibles. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Grab your notepads and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks. Come join us at the table. Time to study the Word of God. All right. <clears throat> Now, this bit here, I have had some fun with it in time past. And some people really get worked up about this bit. When we talk about uh, these kinds of things that uh, in Timothy here, that's called doctrines of devils. And especially the whole abstaining from meats thing. 
as uh, the vast majority of other religions and the cults really take this one to heart and uh, because they think that by their not eating certain meats and abstaining from certain things that this will bring them closer to god or it will assist in their salvation or something or that or under some idea they think that they have to live like good jews and maintain the law like the jews did and, uh, and so when i show them what the bible actually says on this uh they get right worked up Oh yeah, um, I've had some people get really wild and angry at me over this. So if you're if you happen to be one of those, well, take it up with God. I'm just reading the Bible, so <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. At least not yet. Okay, so First Timothy chapter four. Let's take a look at this. Now, yesterday we went over in detail what it was, uh, what the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils means and, and how this applies. So please make sure you give that one a watch if you haven't listened to that one yet. Okay, so let's see. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay, so again. We already went over that, uh, about how the enemy can come as ministers of righteousness. They can appear as angels of light, and they can speak softly and uh, and are powerful, powerful deceivers. And they know exactly how to say things, to sway people, to affect the mind, to get you to think on other things. Now, as we see as well, giving heed to seducing spirits of doctrines, the devil speaking lies, that these devils are speaking lies as well as their ministers, uh, these false ministers, these false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers are speaking lies. They are of their father, the devil, the father of lies. They say one thing, but they don't follow it. They're speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, and they no longer feel conviction. They no longer feel conviction about this. It doesn't bother them anymore. Uh, they, they don't care what it is. Like, for example, Benny Hinn, for example, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, these kinds of guys that that can pick up a Bible, open it up, and preach that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about making money. Think about that. That's what they're doing. That that's searing your conscience hot iron. That they can actually pick up the word of God and feel no guilt about twisting the word of God for their own volition, for for their own self, for their own power. That they can they take the Bible and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the cross, the blood, the the death, the burial, the resurrection, and make it all about making money so that you will give them all your money. It's just incredible that, that, but this is the kind of thing, or like the cults where they take take the word of God and they preach it in such ways as to bring everyone else under subjection of them, and they uh, they use the word of God for power gain and all this kind of thing. You've seen this with different kinds of cults and other religions, or like the papacy, for example, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, what are some of the things like Paul gives here a couple a couple items as examples 
that these ones will use and that, that have been used and all this kind of thing. Uh, what was, as you see here, the first one, forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. Now, this falls under a couple different uh, aspects. Number one, uh, commonly known, like for example, in Roman Catholicism, where in the, in, the, uh, in the priesthood and all this, that you have to be celibate. You're not allowed to have relations. Uh, you're not allowed to be married, any of that kind of thing. And you have to uh, swear to a, a, a vow of celibacy and stay single. Um, preaching that you shouldn't get married, that kind of thing. Well, that's one aspect. We also do see uh, nowadays with uh, modern society and the whole woke movement, the woke culture, woke society, uh, the, uh, the modern societal views that marriage is outdated. Marriage is outdated. You don't need to get married. You can just shack up. You, you can just live together in fornication and all that kind of thing. And that that's just as the same as being married and all of this. No, no, no. That That's called fornication. That's immorality. That's not marriage. No, all because you slept together doesn't mean you're married. That means you just committed fornication or adultery and you're you're not married before God. That there's actually a system, as you see in the word of God uh, throughout this time, that, of how to be married. And that uh, outside of that, it, it doesn't count. Now, there are some that, again, that will fight against this and, and all that, but... You have to take a look at what scripture says, what scripture shows by teaching, doctrine, image, picture, all these things, all down through representation, all down through the word of God, uh, that there's something for everything. And especially when it comes to what the Bible talks about, the, the time for a man to leave his father and his mother to cleave unto his wife. Uh, there's there's actual protocols regarding this of how it, it flows down, as you see in as taught by God. Uh, to the Jews on the marriage system, how this works, even going predating that, going back, and the, and how marriage works. They're married before God, uh, before witnesses, and there's the, the leader of the faith, uh, the, the elder or whatever, that leads through this. There's a whole system. You can't just join together, sleep together, okay, now you're husband and wife. That, that, no, that's immorality. But again, as you see, that the devils and the false prophets and the false apostles, the deceitful workers, these lying devils in pants suits telling people you don't need that. And also we see forbidding to marry also falls another category here of forbidding to marry biblically. A biblical marriage. Now, without getting into too much detail on this, we, we understand what the world's pushing on other forms of marriage. Um... We see uh, that the Bible calls abomination. I don't need to touch on that much more. But we see the Bible calls abomination. So there's forbidding to marry biblically is what we need to put down here. Forbidding to marry biblically, the way that God sees marriage, as God taught marriage. Um, there's every other form of thing that's, that's promoted and preached by the devils and the devil's uh, ministers. But we have to understand what God says about this. All because you may feel one way, your feelings aren't doctrine, your feelings aren't fact, your feelings aren't truth. Your feelings are lies and fickle, and we have to go with that which is established 
by God unto all generations, which is held above his very name, that God is the final authority on all aspects of faith and practice of faith. Uh, all because you may not like it. And my dad actually had a run-in with this a while ago, where he was trying to counsel an individual who did not believe in the uh, order orders of biblical marriage and thought you could just basically shack up and, it, and over enough time that just meant you're married. And dad tried to counsel him and he got all mad and jamming his finger in dad's chest, accused dad uh, uh, that it was all just dad in his seminary that just says that. And that's, uh, uh, no, it's not about seminaries, it's not about Bible schools, it's not about feelings, it's not about uh, denominational distinctives or, or church tradition. It's what does the Bible flat out say? What did God say on this? So go through the word of God. What is marriage according to the counsel of God? Not by what I feel, what I think, what I dream, what I envision or anything else or what anyone else says. What does the word of God happen to say on the matter? Sin is still sin. Righteousness is still righteousness. Hell is still hot. The cross is still rugged. The blood still flows. Salvation is only by grace through faith by belief alone and the Lord God Jesus Christ alone and the scriptures and the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. And if you don't like that, take it up with God. All right. So those that would try to push or promote something contrary to biblical marriage is accursed of God. So how do you know where the doctrines of the devils are, where the ministers of unrighteousness are? You listen to what they're saying, what they're promoting. If it goes contrary to the word of God, they're wrong. It doesn't matter who they are, what they are, what they've done, what they've written, what they've said, or any of this kind of th other kind of thing. It doesn't matter. If it goes contrary to the word of God, not contrary to me or you or anything else, contrary to the word of God, the scriptures, they're wrong. And so, it, like, as I generally try to say, like Martin Luther says, convince me by scripture. Convince me by scripture. Show me by the word of God. Okay, I don't care if you call yourself a prophet or an apostle or whatever else. Or like I saw on Twitter that one one time, some fellow was actually, no joke, calling himself the most holy apostle prophet. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you call yourself. If you contradict the word of God, you're wrong. As simple as that. All right. So forbidding to marry. Now, we take that, and it's many different applications, and we can use that. We see, then, what is the biblical narrative and all these kinds of things, forbidding to marry. Now, as you see, in marriage as well, there's another aspect that we do have to look at. And Jesus says, says about this, about the whole divorce and remarriage thing. Now, forbidding to marry biblically also falls under this, that divorce and remarriage is a curse of God, is sin. Now, I know this may be a hard pill to swallow. Some people may get offended, but just think about this. You know, what does the Bible say on this? Because modern society and much of the modern church preaches that it's okay to divorce and remarry. When God said, no, that that's adultery. Jesus flat out says, clear as crystal, that divorce or remarriage is adultery. Shacking up together is fornication, is immorality. That there is a biblical system of marriage and going contrary to that is sin. 
This may be painful, may hurt, and may be uh, troubling to some people. For some, you know, they, they may have already gone and done this. Well, then you need to get before the Lord and you need to repent and you need to acknowledge what the Lord says regarding this and seek his counsel in this. How should we go about, about dealing with this? So I'm, I'm just here to show you what the word of God says. All right. So give this some thought. All right. Okay. Um, uh, with this is a question, a blog says, if the husband is beating the wife physically on a regular, consistent basis, is that not a legitimate reason for divorce and then be able to remarry someone who is not of that way? Okay. Now, protection and all this, that there is accounts in the Bible regarding biblical divorce, which is temporary separation. Temporary separation. That's what divorce was meant for. That uh, according to the word of God, when we study this, this principle that we see in scripture, divorce does not mean unmarried. Divorce does not unmarry you. It does not nullify the vows. It does not uh, cause you to then be separated before God from the husband in that they're no longer your husband. That's not what divorce is according to scripture. Uh, that that is the uh, the modern societal interpretation but it's not the biblical interpretation the biblical interpretation is temporary separation to get the issues fixed so that you can come back together and remarriage according to the word of god is only valid if the other is passed away that's what the bible flat out says that's what the scriptures flat out say in uh, Romans chapter 7, it talks about this. If the husband be dead, she is then free to marry another. But if she marries another while the husband still lives, she commits adultery. That's what the Bible flat out says, and there's no way around that. Now, if there is abuse in the relationship, absolutely, they are allowed to leave, to get away from that, to protect themselves, to seek the proper counsel and protection as is required and needed in this. Absolutely. It, by no way, shape or form is she supposed to have to stay there and take the abuse. There are those that do preach that. That doesn't matter what the husband's doing. She has to stay and take it. Well, those people that are preaching that should be ashamed of themselves and they're disgusting. That's not what the Bible teaches. If there is abuse in all this, yes, there absolutely is legitimate uh, uh, teaching in here for that separation, for that time, till the, uh, you seek the counsel and the protection, all this kind of thing. But overall, as we see according to the word of God, as Jesus said it, Apostle Paul flat out said it, and we see it in other aspects of the word of God, that divorcing and remarrying while the other is still alive is adultery. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says. And, and we have to say, yes, Lord. We have to say, yes, Lord. If, if God's flat out says these things, we have to acknowledge what scripture says, regardless of our feelings, experiences, and these things. Um, so again, now how far should we take this as far as the word of God says it? Now, I understand that there can sometimes be some serious issues consequences circumstances regarding all of these things but we ought to obey god rather than men what the lord says about these things so for how long then biblically biblically how long then can the uh, can the can that separation then last as long as needed as long as needed uh, if the other is still unwilling well then the the separation continues separation continues but before God, 
before God Almighty, according to the word of God, vows are vows. They're vows before God and they cannot be unbroken. And that in the eyes of God, you are married uh, until death do us part. That the, These vows that are given uh, uh, fall under biblical license, are held by God, and it's a serious thing. And God says that when you vow to each other, you're sealed before God, the two become one, and, and that you're to seek that reconciliation, to seek to be reconciled, to seek to, the proper counsel and help all these things. If the other is unwilling, well, then the, other, then the other that wants to seek the peace just holds them holds himself to God until, until the time needed, until the, until the time that uh, either the other passes away or they get themselves reconciled. But divorce and remarriage is adultery in the word of God. That's just what it says. Shacking up is fornication. It is not marriage. It's fornication. And two of the same gender marrying each other is abomination. That's what the Bible flat out says. And if that offends you, if that bothers you, that's just what I'm just telling you. That's what the Bible says. That's what scripture says. Now, now we may have differing views and been told something different by others. Okay, fine. But this is what the Bible flat out says. And we can't twist the scriptures to fit our personal desires. Uh, if, although now we may have personally gone through certain situations and issues and we want and we want a desired outcome, we can't abuse scripture to try to validate that. Then we create a greater sin. We create a greater sin. So again, again, we have to go with what scripture says. And if the if the scriptures go against our preconceptions, then our preconceptions are wrong. Our preconceptions are wrong. Our personal views and doctrines are wrong. And we need to adjust ourselves according to the word of God. Now, I've known many a people that have, that have gone through all of these different kinds of things. And some will accept what the scripture is saying. It says, right, the Lord and others continue to fight and, and uh, buck against what scriptures say. And they and they even will will ignore the preacher that is telling them what the Bible says on this thing, and they'll go and seek out all kinds of other preachers to try to find that one preacher that will twist the scriptures to say what it, say the thing that they want. I've seen that, but and that just shows rebellion of the heart, rebellion of the spirit, rebellion of the mind, because they want what they want, and they want to try to find a way to to twist the scriptures to to their own satiation. And this is what modern society preaches, that, that uh, you come first. Your feelings, your emotions, your personal life comes first. That whatever, whatever is going on in your life, that comes first. How you feel, as long as you're feeling good, as long as your needs are met, and, all, uh, and your desires are satiated. That's the preaching of the doctrines of devils. Uh, according to the word of God, as you see, the Lord comes first. His word comes first. His ways come first. His doctrines, his commandments come first. Regardless how I feel about it, regardless how it affects my life, regardless of what's happening in the circumstances around me, the word of God, the commandments of the Lord come first. If I refuse that, if I buck at that, if I push back at that, then I'm creating greater sin. I'm creating greater sin. So we see here, 
forbidding to marry. It comes under many different applications we can put under this one. And so this is one of the chief cornerstones of society and, uh, and of civilization is marriage and the making of family and home. So we see this is a very important thing. It's a chief cornerstone of, of in the world. So we see that this is something that the enemy is going to attack because God created marriage. God created marriage and God set up the, the, the marriage system. God gave the blessing of the marriage bed and all these things. And this is what the devils want to defile. This is what the devil wants to destroy. This is what the devil wants to corrupt. And, and he will try to do it in many, many ways. He comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to destroy the system that God gave on all these things. And people will abuse it before, for their own feelings, their own emotions, their own satiation. We do see that, that God does give certain licenses for certain things, but we have to go with the, what the commandment of God is. All right, what the commandment of God is. We see what is marriage according to the word of God. What is, uh, how are we supposed to go about improper relationships according to the word of God? Now, now, what are the laws of marriage, according to the word of God? The treatment of the husband to the wife, that there is great condemnation given, punishment by God upon those that abuse their spouses and all these things. And we also see the judgment of God upon fornication and adultery and immorality. And then the great discipline and, and condemnation by God unto abomination. So we do see that we have to we have to go with what the word of god says regardless of our feelings on the matter so god comes first his word comes first his doctrine comes first because the moment that we push back and resist what the lord says that is where doctrines of devils will seek to get in no matter how small how insignificant it may seem they'll try to find a way through the cracks through the window or through the blatant open door that we wind up leaving so we got to accept what the Lord says on these matters, regardless of how I feel about it or the situation. All right. So now, as we see, the lies that, that the enemy will preach, the, that the enemy will try to sneak in, will try to get into our minds, are the lies as we see, as Lucifer did with Eve. That uh, 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 taking up the authority in your own mind, in your own life, that, uh, that by your own justification, for your own satiation of these kinds of things, what does the word of God say? You see, what Eve should have done is she should have taken what Lucifer said and gone to the Lord say, Lord, this is what this angel over here said, but what do you say? That's what she should have done. She should have gone to Adam and explained it, and they too gone to the Lord and presented this to the Lord. That's what they should have done. Everything that comes to every thought, to take your thoughts captive by the word of God in prayer and casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Obedience of Christ. This is what scripture teaches us. Now, please understand. Please understand, am I saying this as I know some feelings uh, may, uh, may sure get uh, stirred up by some of these things, but understand that I am not in any way, shape, or form preaching that, or saying or even remotely implying that individuals have to stay in abusive relationships or any of this kind of thing or, or any of that. Uh, as I said, they absolutely should seek proper counseling and all this. But again, what does the Word of God say regarding marriage? 
and and individuals that are shacking up there to uh, biblically they're to repent of that get themselves right before the lord and if they truly want to be together they should get married that's what the bible says get themselves right with the lord and individuals uh, that are uh, just uh, being adulterous like this adulterous affairs these things repent and get yourself right with the lord lest the lord uh, uh, deal with you there's great judgments upon sin and the Lord doesn't take sin lightly. So we need to make sure that uh, we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Uh, make sure that we subdue the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. That we are to t put the Lord and his word first. This is very important. Now, again, we may not understand why the Lord sets such lines and such things like this. But again, uh, we may not understand everything that the Lord says. But we have to uh, nonetheless say, yes, Lord. Though I don't understand it, the very fact that the Lord said it, it's truth. That's how it is. That's how it is. Now, with that said, and leading up to this, we see in the, uh, leading with the important point of marriage, we then go on to something else. As we see, there's there's relationship in marriage and then diet, then food. So we see that the basics of life are being touched on here. The basics of life. As you go out, what do you seek to do? home and sustenance home and sustenance these are two things that that are brought up here two of the of the basics of life the basics of society the basics of the home is the relationship and the sustenance and these these two things are are two very important aspects that the enemy will seek to destroy will seek to corrupt the 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 uh the food and corrupt the home corrupt the relationships but what does uh, the Lord have for us here in regarding this? Regarding doctrines of devils, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received at thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. That which God has given, the enemy is going to seek to corrupt it, to destroy it, to cause you to look down it, condemn it, oppose it, refuse it, uh, in some way to uh, oppose that which God has set up regarding this. Now, at the time that this was given, this is during the early church, and this is by the Apostle Paul, from the mouth of Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit of God. Now, are we then allowed by God to eat whatever we want? Are we allowed by God to eat whatever we want? Are there actual restrictions regarding diet? How should we go about this? Now, this can be an absolutely massive topic. As we can bring in, okay, what about Coca-Cola and Pepsi? What about Oreos and chocolate chips? What about junk food? What what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? So we could go all that route, but rather I'm just going to stick with the, a, a generalization here regarding food. food uh, are there biblically restrictions? Because some people come at me, for example... And tell me that I'm accursed of God because I drink coffee. And coffee is a drug. <laughs> and that, that I'm sinning and I'm accursed of God because I'm indulging in drugs. Because caffeine. Really? Okay, please show me one single verse uh, that says anything about this. They say, well, well, it's, it's no different than sugar. You know sugar come, is naturally found in God-made food. 
uh, in fruit and vegetables and all this that sugar is found naturally naturally in nature so okay let's take a look at this my cup of sin here <laughs> okay According to the word of God, as given to the given to the church, commanded by the Spirit of God through the mouth of the apostles, are there any restrictions regarding diet? Okay, let's take a look here. Now, similarly, as, as we see that that uh, marriage itself is a picture of Christ and the church. Okay, as see that it's a it's a covenant. It's a covenant made before God. That marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. That itself changes everything when we look at it that way. Biblically, because modern society makes marriage a contract that if either the other breaks their part, the contract's null and void, you're free to go do whatever you want. But before God, biblically, marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant made by uh, made by God to hold the vows and to bless this thing. It's a covenant, not a contract. And it's sealed in blood. Now, not to get too detailed but the marriage bed the vows the covenant are sealed in blood now you adults that are married and all this you know where that what that means and this is why virginity is also very important okay so but as you, as you see that all things made by god are are commandments of god and have serious serious points in here serious things and uh, so we have to take it by God's view of these things, of the serious nature of these things. Now, the same thing as we see, as we see in this, are uh, with even food. That what God says. Now, people say, well, how is food just as serious? Because it's a commandment of God. Because God said it. Because God said it. Because God commanded it. It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel. What God says. So regarding food then, because as we see, if we go back you know, all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, if we go back to Genesis chapter 9, we see the Lord speaks uh, to Noah regarding food. And if we go to Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 to 4, God says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So we do see that blood itself is very, is a very significant image, picture, uh, point all down through scripture. Uh, uh, the blood of the sacrifices, uh, the uh, the blood of marriage. We see the blood of salvation. The, the blood is used all down through Scripture and is a very powerful thing. is a very serious thing, and we see here now even in diet that it, the restriction that we see going all the way back to Genesis is you're not supposed to eat blood, and that uh, the meat is to be properly drained and cooked and prepared and all this stuff, and you're not to eat the blood. So if we take a look at this then, Genesis 9 says it, and then we go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 at the Apostolic Council. At the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem, we see here that uh, there's brought up a, an argument, a, uh, 
a problem. There's starting to become a schism. Uh, many of the Pharisees, which also believed, were going out and telling the Gentiles that they had to bind themselves to the law in addition to believing in Jesus. And we see the apostles uh, then have to bring this all up and talk about this. And they say that neither, uh, none of us commanded any such thing. But rather we see in Acts chapter 15, verse 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, giving the Gentiles the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. That salvation is the same for both Gentiles and Jews. Gentiles being non-Jews. So we see that there's only one way, one truth, one life, and there isn't a separate way of salvation for the Gentiles, separate way of salvation for the Jews, as some preachers will say that there is. They're lying. There's only one way of salvation. Salvation has never been by works, is not by works, and never will be by works. Salvation has always been by grace through faith, by belief alone. As you see, it's the same way, same truth, same life, same way of salvation given to both Jews and Gentiles. So he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor our forefathers were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So we see, establish this. So then they go on to talk then about, okay, what about the whole law thing? How does the law work? This is where we get into now understanding the difference uh, between the cultural laws and the righteous laws. Okay, So the cultural laws, as these are laws, commandments that specifically were given that designated the culture of the Jews. That, that uh, by their appearance, by the things that they could and could not wear, could and could not eat, the distinctive... Uh, aspects that, that by the outside when you look at them they, they would give the appearance of the jewish culture these things these things as we see were changed the cultural laws were done away with in acts chapter 15. acts chapter 15 it seemed good to the holy ghost and to us as you see in verse 28 of acts chapter 15 for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And so the Spirit of God moved this, as you see, as Jesus at the Last Supper changed the covenant. As the covenant is no longer by the blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs, but now by the blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, being God, has the power and the authority to change the covenant. As you see, Jesus as God has the power to change the law. You have heard of old time, it said this, but I say unto you, and he did this multiple times, and again, the Spirit of God does this again in changing uh, the times by doing away with the cultural laws, that these are no longer necessary. These are no longer required. What are some of these things as we see? Well, everything of the, cult, of the cultural laws are done away with, except for a couple few little things. Right. Now, if we go down in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Okay, so there's four things here that are then repeated 
in Acts 15, verse 20, uh, starting at verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that we abstain from meats offered to idols, the pollutions of idols, and from blood, and from things strangled. So that falls under like animal cruelty. Like, you know, some cultures actually torture the animal before they butcher it and all this because they believe that that purifies the meat. And there's also the strangulation because some cultures that actually strangle the animal to death to keep all the blood in the meat and they wouldn't drain it properly. So it falls into that, that, that category about strangled, a thing strangled and from fornication from which if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well, very well. So only four things are kept. Everything else was done away. So therefore, by this sentence then, going back to 1 Timothy 4, about, about teaching to abstain from meats, when God said, and we even see by the vision of Peter, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Call not thou common which God has cleansed. I see pictures all down through that God has given the license that it's okay. It's okay now. And that the cultural laws are done away. Only these four things were kept. So by that then, as we see, because some also try to bring in the whole uh, vegetarian argument of saying, well, in the Garden of Eden, they were vegetarians and all this kind of thing or whatever. Uh, well, then why did God tell Noah to eat animals? God said that it's okay to eat animals. God said that, that, uh, that it's sin and a doctrine of devils to condemn that which God has allowed. So by that argument, we absolutely are 100% allowed to go have some nice barbecue pork chops with a side of shellfish. It's allowed. It's allowed. And so we see that, uh, that by this then, food as given by God, commanded by God. We may have our own views, our own feelings on things, but it's in how we approach this. Like, for example, if in this that you feel that you just would rather not eat meat and you'd rather just for personal diet reasons only just want to be like a fruititarian or a vegetarian or something that's fine go right ahead that's your liberty but you're not allowed to condemn that which god allows you in turn can't sit can't go and do that and then say eating meat is wrong because now you're condemning that which god has allowed and now you're in a, a greater sin here so as we see in verse four, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if we receive a thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. It is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Marriage is sanctified, sealed and blessed and purified by God in, in prayer, by the word of God, by the blessing of God, by the vows before the Lord. We see our, our food that we give thanks for, God blesses it. And so we see that all things are brought to the Lord first. The Lord gets the last say. The Lord has the final say. And all things uh, from relationship to even diet. Everything is to be brought before the Lord. What does the Lord have to say on this matter himself? That my feelings on the thing are irrelevant. What I'm going through, what I feel, and what I've been told, and what I believe is irrelevant. What the Lord says, what his word says, is the final absolute authority. 
Now, that God is gracious, he's merciful, and that he gives liberty and he gives uh, help and all different things. And so we just come to him and seek his counsel and he'll show us what to do about these things. We seek his face and he'll inform us, he'll educate us. He'll give us the knowledge, the wisdom, the guidance in all things. Everything from our job life to our home life to our private life uh, to the uh, our spiritual life, every aspect of, of mind, soul, body everything there is an answer there's a teaching there's a direction for everything we bring it to the lord the lord is waiting seeking for us to come to him and ask him to seek his counsel in this so it is sanctified by the word of god in prayer if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of jesus christ nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained so what things Put them in remembrance of these things. What things? Everything that has been said since chapter 1. Because as we understand that this is a solid letter. That Paul did not write to Timothy in chapter verse divisions. He wrote it all as one solid letter. So we have to back up then and take a look at everything that has been said thus far since since chapter 1 verse 1. Everything from there all the way up to here. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, all the way back to chapter 1, thou should be a good minister. And we, if we back up, it goes everything from, from home life to marriage life to church life, church function, about the bishopry, about the deaconship, everything. All the way down through about the children and the home and the marriage and the church and, and now about even... Uh, but a warning about lies and stuff that could possibly come in about how to stay away from that what to watch for and even diet all everything has been touched on thus far everything's been touched on thus far now some people say that some of these things that we've covered are just secondary issues and aren't really that important in the grand scheme because it doesn't affect your salvation well, all because it doesn't affect your salvation doesn't mean that it's not something that is seriously important that we should pay attention to and that we should biblically defend. Well, it's a secondary issue. Why are you making a big deal of a secondary issue? Because God said it. If it wasn't important, then he wouldn't have said it. If it wasn't important, he wouldn't have said, put them in remembrance of these things. So... All because it's not salvationary doesn't mean this isn't something that, that should be seriously taught and upheld and handed down from the Lord. As the, as the preachers, it's our job to show you everything that the Lord has said and, that, and to elevate these things as important. Sure, it's not salvationary, but that doesn't mean it's not important. And it's not something that we should follow with every fiber of our being. Why would you not want to follow all the counsel of God. All because it's it's secondary, does that mean that we could just throw it out and ignore it? Who who would who would even imply that kind of a thing? Who would what kind of preacher, what kind of prophet would be teaching that the secondary issues can just be ignored or not are not a big deal? Oh, that'd be a false prophet. That'd be a minister of Satan. So, God said it. God preached it. God gave it. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost. 
it seemed good by the spirit of god through the mouth of the apostles to get to give these things so these are important things then and only a minister of satan or a minister touched by satan as was whispered into his ear to corrupt his mind and cause him to fall from the serious nature of the word of god would say such things that you can ignore all these i'm just saying that we should seek the counsel of god and, and on every aspect in every detail and everything that you do even in eating and drinking do all to the glory of god even a glass of water a glass of water in the name of the lord is an important thing so even a cup of coffee god made coffee beans why not All right, so we see that everything when it comes to this as well, everything in moderation. People say, well, coffee can be addictive. So is sugar. So is gluttony. So is entertainment. So we see that all because something that when it's abused can cause issues doesn't mean that that thing in and of itself then is bad. Uh, that's nonsense logic. So, okay. So, anyway. What's your thoughts so far? So, we see that uh, the overall theme in this, I know this can be sensitive topics. These can be uh, hard issues on, uh, on many, and many levels, but we have to, we have to, as saints of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as children of the Lord, we have to. Stand before the Lord and say, yes, Lord. Whether we like it or not, whether we, uh, how we approach this or, or whatever, we have to acknowledge that if the Lord said thus, we say, yes, Lord. Regardless of our feelings, situations, circumstances, issues, if the Lord says it, then this is what it is. And this is what it is. So we need to hold ourselves accountable to the Lord as disciples of the Lord. So just some thoughts. Okay, before we continue, anything on uh, further before we go, go on? As I've been seeing the comments really going here. Um, uh, okay, so a bit here i'm trying to catch up on what the comments are saying um uh, blog says the point is if after think thinking counsel separation the husband does not change his ways what is the woman to do if she leaves so is the woman bound to a life of loneliness and an unprotection of a good man well you understand yes that though she be separated jesus says if a, a woman who divorces a husband and marries another commits adultery and he that marries her that is put away that is divorced he commits adultery by marrying her that's what jesus says so i can't undo that so by that then okay what is another aspect there must then be biblically another route that can be taken that doesn't end up in sin so if this is the case then 
that uh, if the husband, for example, is unrepentant and unwilling to change and is causing a lot of problems, she, again, is by in no way, shape, or form obligated to have to stay in abusive relationship. Okay? But she is bound to that husband before the Lord by vows. That's what God says. So then she then, if this is the situation with the husband, the husband is abusive and unrepentant on this, she then binds herself to the Lord. That the Lord, in a way, becomes her protector. Becomes her protector, her provider. And she lives for the Lord, by the Lord, through the Lord. He will guide her, protect her, and help her into all things. And that he, he will work it out. And she, giving herself to prayer and fasting, is by that even able to, that, that the Lord is able to turn his mind and heart. Has she done that? That would be some of the first counsel that I would give on this then. Um, give yourself to prayer and fasting. As uh, the Lord is able to turn the hearts uh, of people. And is able to affect the mind, save the souls, all of that. So give yourself to the Lord in this and serve the Lord until, uh, until either uh, the husband changes or until enough times pass and that maybe the husband passes away she can then marry another but uh, to give yourself to the lord and to not try to uh, affect things by physical nature but rather by spiritual to to bind yourself to the lord if the if the spouse is unwilling to change unrepentant all this kind of thing causing problems that doesn't mean just divorce and go marry someone else that's adultery so then therefore you then bind yourself to the lord and serve the lord and and let the lord guide that that marriage guide guide you in these steps that's what i would say in this okay um i think also in the comments here you're also kind of misunderstanding something i was saying here And you can't justify divorcing marriage. I know you don't like the sound of this. Going through the comments here. All right, well. Yeah, God is a God, God of forgiveness, but a man knoweth to do right and doeth it not to him it is sin. If you know that such a thing is wrong, you go and do it anyways. It becomes even a greater sin of deliberate, willful rebellion. Deliberate, willful rebellion, which is a serious thing before the Lord, and the Lord can bring chastisement down upon. I'm just giving you warning here because you, the way you're talking, that you'll just take your chances in this because you know God is forgiving. Uh, I think you missed the point in that the other doctrine in here is also chastisement and discipline. Uh, uh, that there's there's ignorance uh, of uh, sinning the way of. Uh, sins of ignorance that you didn't know then there's willful sin or you know that something is wrong you do it anyways um that brings a harsher judgment a harsher chastisement by god upon that uh, so you want to be careful of that and i know emotions can sometimes ca uh, cause people to say some things because some topics can be of a sensitive nature we have to be careful about our personal emotions creating doctrine uh, uh, well, God will just forgive me. That that shows a serious, serious problem um, in uh, understanding of doctrine and understanding of the Lord. Uh, it shows a serious problem in one's walk, walk with the Lord if that is the actual case of attitude in these kinds of things. So we got to be very careful with this. So God will just forgive me. Well, then you need to search your heart in this. 
this that that shows a, a serious problem that shows a very serious problem um purely says uh praying for you please reach out when you want to talk please don't hesitate i'll pray for you um okay um so some topics in in the word of god are very really goes against human nature uh can really go against uh certain people's uh views uh when it comes to religion when it comes to religious practice uh, when it comes to beliefs and doctrines, especially when they affect the very cornerstone of society, uh, of our lives. And that, again, we see relationship. Uh, like, for example, it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman to avoid fornication. That, that, uh, that because contact can lead to sin if, if if these individuals are unmarried we got to be, got to be careful that all uh that uh dating has been corrupted as you see by modern society for example and that people think that you could just go uh, go to you know take someone out for dinner and then that night you two can uh, do whatever you want no the the word of god actually gives restriction even on this and proper treatment of one another and there should be distance and to keep your hands to yourself kind of thing it'd be very careful to avoid fornication now this is fornication physically or as jesus even talked about of the mind there's adultery of the mind to look upon a person to lust after them i i uh 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 put myself in a covenant with mine eyes why should i think upon a maid as the bible even talks about that to avoid the thoughts of immorality to avoid the thoughts of these things we got to be very very careful and before the lord as we represent the lord we represent christ we were we represent the the very vows and promises and the work of the lord and this affects every aspect of our being from from uh from courtship and relationship and marriage and home and family and spousal treatment everything to even the church and church function we represent the lord and we we are to put the lord first in all things and and relationship in conversation they're to watch our words our thoughts uh, to watch our eyes uh, to put a guard on our eyes to guard our our uh, what we're hearing every aspect of our being is affected and the lord mentions this and even our steps the way we walk and carry ourselves, the people we hang out with, there are commandments of God upon these things. We'll say, well, I thought you said we're no longer under the law. We're not under the law, we're under grace, but our liberty is not liberty to sin. And God, uh, to the church, gives certain instructions. We're believer priests. We're priests of the temple. And priests of the temple can't be rebellious. Priests of the temple can't be corrupted. Priests of the temple can't be defiled. He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. That's New Testament. So we see that uh, the, the Lord's commandments are important, are serious. Now true that uh, that uh, if, we, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, that if we do sin, this doesn't erase our salvation we can't lose our salvation our salvation is not hinged upon our behavior but our fellowship is hinged 
The blessings are hinged. And when we deliberately go against the commandments of God, this causes a damage to our relationship before the Lord. This restricts blessing and help and guidance. The Lord can no longer work and bless in that which is sin and corruption. So we want to increase the fellowship. We want to increase the blessing of, uh, of God and his guidance, his protection, his provision and all of these things. We, we want the Lord to, to, to work the most in our lives. We hinder it. We hinder it by our own desires, by our own self-will, by our, our own lusts, by our own thinking, by our own logic, by our own reasoning. We, we can hinder these things. This is why the, the Word of God talks about forsaking all following Him, dying to self, to die to self, to die to our own desires, die to our own reasoning, die to our own authority. We talked about that, about taking up our own authority, but dying to our own authority dying to our own feelings and needs what about dying to our own needs and putting the lord's needs the lord's desires first in a sense marrying ourselves to the lord and letting the lord be the guide and diet in life and entertainment and relationship and everything he, he guides us and shows us what to do he molds us and creates us we say but, but what if what if what if what if what if we just let go of the what ifs? What if we just we learn to die to self, forsake all, pick up the cross, and follow Him in every aspect? That the Lord will bless it. The Lord will guide that. Even if hypothetically, even if the other spouse is is corrupted and abusive and all this, I think that the Lord is able to turn things around if we learn to just die to self and stop trying to fix things ourselves. Stop trying to impress God with our own works. Instead, just let go and ask him to take over and we remove ourselves from the picture you see this is part uh, of that we see in much of the modern church like i've been thinking about the other day too one of the great failings of the modern church for example just to bring in another aspect another point is fasting we make every excuse imaginable so that we won't take up that doctrine of that commandment that the Lord Jesus even talked about and touched on when you fast. As you see, by that, it, it's not given as an option. This is something that is important, that is commended, is taught. And we see multiple, multiple times throughout the New Testament even about fasting and we refuse it. We reject that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying all Christians reject it. I said most do, many. Because this is a doctrine that is not touched on, hardly ever preached on, if at all ever, in most churches. But rather, we joke about and we revel in our potlucks, our dinners, and our food, and our gluttony. When was the last time you heard a sermon on gluttony? And so we see that fasting itself is a cornerstone doctrine that helps you to understand the point of dying to self. If you can't even die to your own flesh's desires of eating, what makes you think you can die to self before God and other topics? So if we want to learn what it means to forsake all, how about forsake the dinner plate? Learning to forsake the flesh's desires. 
to set aside our own needs and to spend more time with the Lord, more quality time with the Lord in prayer and fasting and fellowship with the Lord and watch God work in our relationships, in our marriages, in our homes, with our children, with our jobs and our, and our needs and necessities, all these things. Watch God at work. Have you ever read this, the stories of, uh, of George Mueller of Bristol or Charles Spurgeon? are the great missionaries, the great preacher of time past. Look at the lives that they live and the amount of time that they put in. Look at Eugenia Price, Amy Carmichael, all these others, these mighty people of God. The time they spent in prayer and fasting and fellowship before God and how God worked in their lives. He brought, he opened doors and he helped them in so many ways. Where is that today? Where is that today? We spend more time worrying about our physical nature and trying, and we take up the position of God in our own lives and try to control our own lives to be our own authorities. This is, this is a lie. This is a deception. This is a delusion of the enemy that is brought in by uh, by corrupted preachers and corrupted Christians, by corrupted doctrine, but that somehow we need to take authority and take power in our lives. We need to affect change in our own lives. And the doctrine of dying to self has been forgotten and lost. The doctrine of forsaking all has been lost and we get so worked up about our own desires to the point that we won't even fast we won't even fast because well well my sugar will get low we make every excuse every excuse well how am i how will i do my job if i'm not eating do you not think that maybe the lord will give you the strength to be able to get through it if you Give yourself to the Lord, dedicate yourself to the Lord, and put yourself in prayer and fasting before God as the Word of God teaches. Do you not think that the Lord will give you the strength to do it? That the Lord won't give you the strength and the determination, the wisdom and the help and all, all things will tell you what to say, will guide you in the moment? Do you not think that the Lord will do that? That we make every excuse not to. But rather, we live our Christian lives in hypotheticals. But what if, 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 about everything. Everything from our finances, to our homes, to our relationships, to our jobs, to our private life, to everything. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if. We need to stop with the what ifs. We need to stop with the hypotheticals. This is actually one of the things I teach is to refuse hypothetical situations. Refuse to even allow hypothetical situations enter your mind cast them down cast them out reject them resist them have nothing to do with hypothetical situations because that much of the time the hypotheticals come in these are just queries by the enemy put into your mind to get you to uh, uh, try to figure out ways to either undo what the word of god says or to take authority back to yourself reject god says Final word, thus saith the Lord, absolute authority. What the scriptures say, that's all I need. Because, because God said it, and that's sufficient for me. And if that's not sufficient for you, then you have a problem with God. I'm saying you as in a general sense. If, if the, the word of God, what it flat out says, is not sufficient for, for the person, then that person has a problem with God. And that needs to be dealt with. And that means there's something in our lives then 
that we're trying to hold on to, and it's angering us that the Lord doesn't justify it because we want it, and we're not willing to surrender it. Whether that be our uh, our bellies, whether that be our jobs or our family, our homes, whether that be relationships, whether that be fill in the blank, fill in the blank. You see, the enemy by hypocrisy and lies, by doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, by ministers of unrighteousness, by uh, devils masquerading as angels of light, have come in in some way, shape, or form, gotten through the cracks of our foundation, and wiggled their way into our minds with thoughts, ideas, suggestions, desires, lusts of somehow, some way, cause us to take the power and the authority of our lives back upon ourselves and that we become the gods of our own reality. We have to call the shots. We have to dictate. We have to control. We have to figure it out. We have to reason and logic. But the, but the Lord Jesus himself says, why not forsake all of that and just follow me? what I say, that my word is sufficient, that my ways are sufficient, that what I say is enough for you, that I will comfort you, I will guide you, I will help you, I will provide, I will do, but what if, what if, what if I will do it, I will do it, I will do it, but what if I will do it, what about sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary did, and just take in what he says and ignore all the other. Martha, cumbered about much serving, clanging in the pots, she missed out. Mary had the greater part. Martha was trying to control everything. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary was blessed. As you see, but but what about what about all the fish that we just caught? Forsake it. Would you be willing to give that up for Christ? But what about all the money that I gathered in the tax collecting? What about give that up for Christ? What about relationships? What about food? What about give that up for Christ? For a greater blessing. It's a greater blessing. The more that we surrender to the Lord, the more that we die to self, the more that we forsake all, the more that we just take what the Lord says is absolute and just build our Christianity off of just what the Lord says, the more that we'll be blessed. You want blessing of God? You want the blessing of God upon your life? How about surrender all of your logic, all of your thoughts, all your doctrines, all your preconceived ideas, surrender your whole life, your whole belief system, everything that you have, surrender all to the Lord and just take up the word of God as the final absolute authority and that it's sufficient for you. Instead of trying to please God but not eating a pork chop. <laughs> God isn't impressed as much with physical fruit as he is with spiritual fruit. The manifestation of the of spiritual fruit is what pleases him. We have no righteousness in and of our own. We don't sanctify ourselves. Things are sanctified by the word of God in prayer. By the word of God in prayer. The more time we spend with the Lord in prayer and fasting and fellowship and and reveling in the joy of the Lord is what pleases him. So if we want to find the answers to difficult questions, we want to find the solution to everything. We want to find what is the right way to go about everything. Seek the face of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord. 
If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, meaning he won't restrict it. Your cup will overflow. He'll pour out the wisdom and the understanding for everything. Yes, he's forgiving. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's merciful, long-suffering, all the rest of it. We shouldn't be afraid to come before him. We shouldn't be afraid to let go. But many a Christian struggles with this, that Jesus is standing before them and we're, we've just cast out the net to catch the fish. And Jesus standing, holding on his hand and says, will you just let go of the net and come follow me? And that net can be fill in the blank, whatever of our life. And too many a time, we're too afraid to let go of the net because all of the hypotheticals, all of the what ifs, all of the situations, all of the ideas, all the thoughts come in our mind about what, what, what could happen, what might happen, what would happen if we just let go. Because we're too afraid to surrender that authority. We're too afraid to let go and trust Christ alone. We're too afraid of what might happen. What about the finances? What about the bills? What about the car? We're too afraid. And that this world is crushing us and weighing down upon us so much, we just can't let go. We can't just let the Lord take the control, take the authority, take the power of the moment. We can't let the Lord control the church. We can't let the Lord control the marriage. We can't let the Lord control the finances. We can't let the Lord control the job, uh, the deal with the coworkers or whatever else. We can't let the Lord uh, raise our children. I have to worry about everything. I have to control everything. I'm sorry, but we're not God. We're not God. We don't know everything. I know someone who is, and I know someone who does know everything. I know someone who has the answer for absolutely everything, and he will never, ever, ever lead you astray. Only the devils would make you think that God might lead you somewhere uh, somewhere bad, that something bad might happen. Only the devils will be putting in your mind the thoughts to not let go of the net. Only the devils and the ministers of unrighteousness will be telling you to hold on and retain the authority. Only the devils and ministers of unrighteousness would try to tell you that you need to work the outcome. Where Jesus Christ is holding out the hand and says, will you just let go and trust me? Will you just trust me to work it out? That I will guide you through the wilderness? But, 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 but if I do that, I only have a drop of oil left. I only have one little scraping of meal left in the barrel. You know, if I, if I make this last bit of bread for the prophet, I'll have nothing. And Elijah says, first, make me the cake. And she, she did. She trusted. She trusted in the barrel of oil and the jar of oil did not run out. But when they trusted... The answer came. But when they trusted, the blessing arrived. But when they trusted, the Lord worked. But when they went to the Lord, the dead were raised, the healed were sick, the blind could see, the lame could walk. When they trusted, the water came from the rock, the sea split. When they trusted, the Lord delivered from Egypt. When they trusted, they were born again. Say, when they trusted to trust the Lord on everything and to stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting yourself. Trust the Lord only. And him only shalt thou serve. Him only shalt thou serve. Not serve yourself first. God doesn't get the scraps. He gets the first bit.
We go to him first. He gets the first 10%. You give him that. You surrender to the Lord. And not just the 10%, but surrender it all. Surrender him the whole life. Lock, stock, and bear. Lord, take it all. Lord, to you and you alone, whether I live or die, healthy or sick, rich or poor, until death separates me, Lord, I am yours. We marry ourselves to God in trust and faith and belief. We marry ourselves to the Lord and we give ourselves to the Lord and we watch God work in our lives. Because how else do you think that God is able to work properly, fully, accurately if we keep interfering and we keep telling the potter how to do his job? We keep telling the divine carpenter how to build the house. We keep telling the Savior how to work sanctification in our lives. We keep telling the Lord how to do his job. We're not going to see the proper outcome. We're not going to see the proper blessing. Even when it comes to the dinner plate, even about food, now there's nothing that's excluded. Even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. How can I glorify God if I'm calling the shots about every aspect? Well, God gets the big things. I'll just deal with the minute things. Maybe God wants the little things. Maybe God wants the cup of water. What about surrendering him the cup of water? Surrendering him the relationship, surrendering him the home, the family, the kids, the cars, the cows, surrendering to him everything. Give him everything. And watch God work. Watch God work. This is pure doctrine. This is pure religion undefiled. This is pure faith. This is trusting because how can you say you trust God when you won't even give him the bank account? You won't even give him the car. You won't give him the job. You won't give him the home. You won't give him the kids. You won't give him the relationships. You won't give him the dinner plate. How can you say you trust God? You only trust him for only certain things. He, no, God only gets the church building. I get the rest. God only gets the emergencies. I'm the God of the rest. I'm sorry, but it sounds like you may, you may have created a God of your own imagination by that description. But how can we as proper saints of God, proper disciples of Christ, go about this biblically? What is the biblical way around this? What did Christ say? What does God ask? See, God isn't demanding us to surrender all. You must understand this. It's not a commandment of God. It's a mandatory requirement that we have to surrender. God is asking. God is asking. You see, we can decide to just leave it to ourselves. We can decide to take it upon ourselves, our own authority, of our, of our own uh, justification. Or we can choose us this day whom we will serve. And we can choose to let go, to let go of the net, to let go of the, of the tax box, to let go of the gravestone, to let go of, of the, the worries about the bills, to let go about the worry about the coworkers or the job or fill in the blank, to let go, to let go, to worry about what, 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 what if I, what about what I'm eating? Let go of it. Stop worrying about it. God's cleansed it. 
And if there's something that, that is wrong or whatever, that he will teach you that, that to let go of fear, to let go of worry, to let go of anxiety, to let go of care, to let go of these things, to cast it all upon him, for he cares for you. He will teach you all things. He will cause you to be in remembrance. He will show you because he is not the author of confusion. He cannot lie. In him is no darkness, no shadow of turning. He is our teacher, our educator. He is our convictor. He, he's our savior, our redeemer. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He's our father. He's everything. He is our everything. I marry myself to him first. I bind myself to God first. I let go of everything and cast all at his feet first. I cast it at him and then I ask. I cast it at his feet. I say, Lord, would you take this up? And Lord, would you show me how I should go about this? Would you guide me, Lord? Guide me with thine eye, with thy pillar of cloud and fire by day and night. Lord, that you would guide me day and night. That you would take up the reins of my heart in the night season. That you would counsel my mind. That you would strengthen my heart. Lord, that you would teach me how to pray. Lord, that you put in my mouth your words. That my lips be salted by thy grace. Lord, that thy words be written upon my heart and not my own words. Lord, that you would guide my steps, that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Then when we bind ourselves to the Lord, we delight ourselves in the Lord. He surrounds us by his spirit, by his cloud, and he will guide us and he will never let us go. He will never lead us astray. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? everything the devils as we see here want us to become our own gods they want us to become our own authorities they want us to bind ourselves to old law to the old way anything that that god has cast off they want us to pick it back up god cast off the the cultural laws and the devils want us to pick it back up to bind ourselves to that because God has let it go. Everything that God throws out, the devils preach it as doctrine. Everything that God throws out, the devils preach it as doctrine. To be received with thanksgiving. So we see thankfulness. Are we truly thankful about everything that goes on in our lives? Are we truly thankful by God, before God, in pure thankfulness? Are we really? If you can't say yes, then why not change it? Why not change it? Let today be the day of salvation. Not, not as in salvation from sin, but I'm talking about salvation of revival. Save from ourselves. Salvation from our worry, from our stress, from our anxiety, from our cares, from our heavinesses. The garment of praise is given for the spirit of heaviness. Praise, because you truly can't give thanks unless you're first praising him. And you praise him out of a thankful heart. Be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Believe and know the truth. You may believe the truth, but do you truly know it? Do you truly understand? Believe and know the truth. Education, knowledge, understanding. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused to be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. It is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So we pray about everything. And we seek the word of God about everything, like the Bereans. 
Search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Search the scriptures daily. Sanctify by the word of God in prayer. What does the word of God say about this? So every situation of every topic, of every circumstance, of every issue that could possibly arise, what does the word of God say? That's literally what that means. Sanctify by the word of God in prayer. Anything and everything that comes up, we search the scriptures and pray about it. Simple as that. As difficult as that. What does the word of God say? I pray about it. And the Lord will sanctify the situation. He will sanctify the circumstance. His blessing, his purity, his guidance, his holiness, his righteousness will be upon it and within it. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what it is. What does the word of God say? I pray about it. Biblical counsel. Biblical counsel is counsel by the Bible. God-given wisdom is wisdom given by God through his word. That, that there's an answer for absolutely every single thing that you could possibly imagine in the word of God. There's an answer for it. As God is infinite, so is his word. So is his word. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. This is doctrine by God, so therefore it is good. Good according to God's standard. This is how we are to live. And as you see here, verse 7, look at verse 7. That all these other things that I've just mentioned are good doctrine, Paul says, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse, reject, reject, refuse profane and old wives' fables. Profane, that means to be cast down, trodden on. And it's something that, that, that is worth being trodden on, walked over. Just, it's garbage, cast it down, profane. And old wives' tables, that's superstitions and myths. Actually, the word it's in here is foolish silly silly old stupid foolish superstitions and myths reject them refuse profane and old wives fables and exercise this of rather unto godliness unto godliness now old wives fables superstitions and myths so we see what the word of God says. There's clear doctrine, clear teaching. What the word of God flat out says, this is truth, this is doctrine, this is true. Myths and superstitions are all things outside of the Bible. All outside of the Bible. So false doctrine, philosophies of man, superstitions and myths are to be rejected and ignored. Man's logic, man's reasoning to be rejected and ignored and just go by what the word of God says. There's an answer for everything. That every solution is found in the word of God. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all. As we see in verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. I could take it into my own hand and work it out myself, or I could surrender it to the Lord and he'll take it, take care of it. And godliness is more important 
than even see bodily exercise. Uh, it says bodily exercise profits little. It doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. So just want to throw that out there for those who do exercise and, uh, and fitness and all of that. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't at all. It just says profits little. It does not say it doesn't profit at all. So just be mindful of that. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. But but in but every situation, everything, bringing it up before the Lord and living as unto the Lord is better. Is better for you, is better for your health, it is better for your mind, it's better for your life, it's better for your relationships, it's better for everything. But living as unto the Lord in everything blesses everything as the scripture even says god even says in his word that when a that when a man's ways please the lord that even his enemies will be at peace with him that's what scripture says give that some thought you're struggling with certain people that you might even classify them maybe as your enemy Scriptures say that when a man's ways please the Lord, that even his enemies will be at peace with him. Well, how well, the, how how would that work then? In every thought, in every interaction, of every word, of every deed, Christ-like. How would the Lord Jesus Christ Himself handle these situations? How would He reply? How would He think? How would He work? Start to exercise thyself unto godliness watch God work watch God work so as we're seeing a theme here starting to really see a theme godliness is profitable unto all things having promise having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation this should be accepted this should be accepted as your faith your belief your trust what you live on if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. To abide means your abode, your home, your dwelling, where you live. I live. If ye abide in me to live in Christ. He takes up your whole being, body, soul, and spirit. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With every fiber of your being. To live in him and his word lives in you. His word lives in you takes over your whole being then whatsoever you ask he will do it then we will truly see God at work if my people which are called by my name should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land if my people saved of God that's what that means the saved of God those are truly children of the Lord it doesn't mean just Israel it means the saved of God if my people I will be their God they shall be my people he's our God we are his people if my people which are called by my name should humble themselves humility if we are still taking up authority in our lives, that's pride. It's pride and idolatry. 
because we set our own reasoning of our own lives as more important that's idolatry that's pride to humble ourselves truly is to forsake all follow him die to self i'm just saying it as it is you may disagree i'm just saying it as it is to forsake all follow him take up the cross follow him die to self if my people should call by my my name should humble themselves and pray word of god and prayer and pray and seek my face to seek his face in all things and seek his counsel about everything to seek my face that we die to self and put him first as the final authority and he calls the shots of everything we serve him just what he says and we only care about what he says about everything but to do that we have to repent of taking it up ourselves now repentance isn't works repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state Acknowledgement of the truth of the Lord. That we surrender to him. Ask him to forgive and cleanse and to take the authority. Ask the Lord to take the authority. If we die to self, humble ourselves, take up the cross, seek his face in prayer, in fellowship and repentance of the penitent heart, he will come down upon us to bless and guide and guard and all these things so much the more. So much the more. He said this. This is his words. This is what he said. Then will I forgive their sin and heal their land. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. We trust in the living God. What does it mean to trust in the living God? Now we trust in him for salvation. We trust in the Lord for salvation. We put our faith in Christ for our salvation, faith in the cross, faith in Christ for our salvation. We are born again, saved. We believe and trust in and have faith in him for our, the whole work of our salvation. Why not for the rest of the story? Well, how come we only leave the Lord at the cross and we don't bring him into the home? We don't bring him into work. We don't bring them into our entertainment. But the faith that we have in the Lord for our salvation is the same faith that we have in the rest of our lives. Do we truly, truly have faith in him for our lives? What what would that look like? What would that look like? What would it look like to trust in the living God for everything? We trust in him for uh, like this for salvation but what about for our home for the raising of our children for our necessities for our finances for our jobs for regarding in, in, uh, interpersonal dealings with co-workers or whatever else you fill in the blank you fill in the blank what is it what would it look like to trust in the living god biblically to trust in him just something to think about these things now look at this Verse 11, like like I've been saying, some people say, well, these are secondary issues. Why are you hammering on this? Because the Bible flat out says in verse 11, these things command and teach. These things command and teach. We're pretty big regarding, you know, following the commandments of God, right? Well, these things command and teach. Who said this? Well, Paul did. Who's Paul? Who 
happens to be Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Where is he getting all of this stuff from? The spirit of the living God that's speaking through him and telling him what to say and what to write. And then God preserves this as his word unto all generations. So God, through the mouth of Paul, says these things command and teach. To command this way of living, this way of diet, this way of relationships. This is how the church is to function. This is how the pastors are to be. This is how the deacons are to be. This is how we deal with everything. These things command and teach. These are commandments of God. Who am I to water it down or to go against it? Who am I to change it? Who are you? Who are we to, to think that we can ignore these things then and think that we're in right relationship with God? How can we go sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but ignore many of the commandments of God? How can I say I love Christ and I trust in living God when I, I won't follow his commandments on these things that he has mentioned? Just some thoughts. Just some thoughts. I'm just thinking out loud. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth. He's talking to Timothy now personally because Timothy is a young man and taking up uh, the pastorate of, of this church here. And Paul's telling him that, to, that though you may be young, don't let other people look down on you like this and th think less of you and then take that personally. Ignore that. You may be young, but you are ordained of God and set up by God, called of God. And, and this is a work of God. He, he placed you this. You keep that in mind. You ignore the naysayers. You ignore the fear mongers. You ignore those that would tell you to take up your own authority. You ignore those that preach fear and faithlessness, that preach doubting, that you ignore those that keep spewing out the hypotheticals and all these other things to make excuses for serving the Lord. You ignore them. You serve the Lord. You take the Lord's banner. You take the torch of the Lord and you follow the Lord with every fiber of your being. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with all thy might. What God says is what we follow and we say, yes, Lord. When God says jump, we say how high. When God gives a commandment, who would try to, uh, try to diminish it? Who would preach against it? Who would seek to water it down? Who would say it's not important? Who would say to ignore it? The sinful flesh and the enemy. So which is our authority? So which is our authority? When it comes to marriage and relationships and home and church and diet and entertainment and lifestyle and everything, who and what is our authority? truly honestly regarding all these things who are we truly listening to who are we truly listening to these things command and teach god says modern society say yeah well that's outdated oh i didn't know that god is up there say oh i didn't know it was 2023 here let me let me change my word to fit more at the times god doesn't do that he doesn't change another does his word Though society says this, this, and the other thing is all changed, and now reality can be whatever you want it to be, but God says thus. What would put in our minds to say otherwise? 
what would seek to stir our emotions to believe otherwise? Yeah, well, I just feel that that's unbiblical and that's ungodly and that is against the commandments of God. I am not God. You're not God. We are not the authority. Only he is. And if we truly love the Lord, we will say yes, Lord, to his commandments and teachings, regardless of the situations. We may not understand everything, but even though we may not understand it, we still need to obey it to the letter of what he says. Now, there is a time of learning. There is grace and liberty and all this. Yes, I understand. But then there's the other side of willful. Paul talks about willful sin. Paul talks about those who know that something is wrong and they do it anyways. James even writes about that. James 4, 17. To know to do right and doeth it not to him it is sin. Now, knowledge of and deliberate rebellion that gets into the whole aspect of the discipline and the chastisement of God. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. We are to be examples. Now, yes, a direct interpretation of Paul saying this to Timothy, but it applies to us nonetheless. We're disciples of Christ, priests of the living God, living temples. We are examples. We're to be an example of the living God, representatives of Jesus Christ in word, in conversation, the word to be teaching, the word of God, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, in purity. To keep ourselves pure and unspotted from the world. Purity. And you see it as in relationships. Purity in marriage. Purity in family. Purity in our walk with the Lord. See, purity of mind. Purity of heart. Faith. Believing trust. Faith is substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith. Believing trust. To trust in the living God. To have faith in Him regarding everything. And to walk purely before the Lord, in purity before God. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give attendance to the reading of the word, the exhortation of the word, the teaching of the word, and doctrine. The teachings, the commandments of God. To give attendance to this. These are commandments of God. Or to give attendance, attention, to give our minds to. This is very important. Very, very important thing. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy with the laying of the hands of the presbytery. We see the spiritual gifts. To exercise our spiritual gifts. To serve the Lord in all things. To exercise our spiritual gifts. To serve the Lord. Now, what has the Lord called you to do? He hasn't called everyone to be uh, preachers and teachers and, uh, and missionaries kind of thing, but there is, a, there is something that you can do for the Lord. You may not even be physically able, but spiritually you're able. You may not be able to do physically many things, but what about prayer? What about inspiration to others, helping others, encouraging them in the name of the Lord? What about praise? So there's many things that you can do for the Lord in this. 
You may not be able to speak. What about writing? Vice versa. What can you do for the Lord? Ask of him and he'll show you. He'll, he'll give you a job. He'll give you work to do. Why would you not want to? To exercise your spiritual gifts. As is blessed by. As others pray for you to take this seriously and then now seek to serve the Lord. What can you do for the Lord? Now look at this, verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Now everything that has been said, as he, as he says, uh, all of these things command and teach. Of all these things that I have said to you, be in remembrance of these things, meditate on them. Take everything that has been said, take it seriously, and truly think upon it. Meditate means to like chewing the fat, so to speak, as the picture behind you is just go over and over and over and over and over and over it and see what does the Lord say about this to bring it before the Lord, seek his face on this in prayer and fasting and fellowship and service, seeking the word, the face of God and all these. Meditate upon these things. What things? All the way back to chapter one. Everything that Christ has said, meditate upon these things. Now look at this. Look, look, look at the words. Verse 15. 1 Timothy 4.15 Meditate upon these things. Look at this. Paying attention. Give thyself wholly to them. Give yourself wholly to it. A complete dying to self and to give to give 100% of your being over to it give thyself wholly to them of everything that i have said paul says everything that has been told to you by christ give yourself wholly to what the lord god has said give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all to profit by it that's the blessings of God that come by this. That, that when you give yourself wholly to these things in service of the Lord out of pureness and singleness of heart, the blessings of God will flow out of you regarding this and others will take note and see this and, and, and this will be a blessing unto them and will draw them to you so that you can tell them about the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Think about that. Meditate upon these things. Think about this. Think about this. This is an important thing. It's an important point. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this. Now look at this. He ends, he ends with a warning. For in doing this. Meditating on it, giving yourself wholly to it, surrendering yourself to the Lord, following the commandments of God, as the Lord has said, by doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, what does the word save there mean? This isn't save as in salvific saving, as a salvationary sense. This is to protect. This uh, That you will be protected. You'll be protected. Protected from what? Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, from lies and hypocrisy, dangers and threats, temptations and struggles and tribulations. It'll protect you from all these things. 
It'll protect you from the world, from the flesh, from sin, from the enemy. It'll protect you from, from uh, all these things. That's what that means right there. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both protect thyself and them that hear thee. Those that listen to you. If, they, if others hear this and they listen to you and they heed what you're saying and you're passing on what I've told you, you tell them and they listen to you, it not only will protect you, but also help protect them. It'll protect them in, in return. That's what the Lord has said. What's your thoughts? That's the end of chapter 4. Any thoughts, comments, questions? What's your thoughts on this? I know it's a, it seems daunting. It seems kind of overwhelming at first, but that, but I need to tell you something. that sense of overwhelmingness that's the flesh's reaction to hearing this you need to understand the distinction between flesh and spirit the flesh balks at everything that the lord says here the flesh gets overwhelmed by this that's the flesh not the spirit because the flesh is afraid. The flesh is terrified. The sinful flesh is terrified that you're going to dedicate yourself to the Lord. The flesh is terrified that it's going to lose authority. It's going to lose influence on you. The flesh is terrified, not just the flesh as well, but the enemy of our souls, the devils even, are, are influencing, throwing gas on the fire, and are influencing, trying to hold you back. They're tr the flesh and the enemy of the world are trying to restrict you, hold you back, oppose you from dedicating yourself to the Lord. That's what's happening. Hearing these things today, the feeling of uh, overwhelmingness, that heaviness, uh, the, the, the ideas and the thoughts of trying to seek the loopholes, trying to exclude, trying to to ignore it, trying to excuse it. That's the flesh in the world and the enemy. Because only that which is of sin would, would seek to oppose that which God has said, would, would seek to excuse that which God has said. True? You see that. You see that. Now, As this says here, there's a worldly kind of Christianity in in this day, which which many have, a cheap Christianity that offends nobody, because the true gospel, the true uh, truth of God, offends the world. is offensive. It's offensive because it offends sin. But a cheap Christianity of modern of of a modern sort offends nobody requires no sacrifice and costs nothing then in the end is worth nothing a, a form of belief in the lord where the lord gets no authority he gets no say no control and god only gets the the church building he only gets sundays god only gets the emergencies that's a cheap form of christianity that is worth nothing affects nothing 
helps nothing. But as we see, as the Lord is asking for us to follow him completely, he, he, des- he desires that we, that we would come take up the cross, follow him, forsake all, die to self. Why would you not want to? God only gets the morning devotions, the evening devotions. He only gets the prayer meetings. He only gets Sundays. But you get all the rest, all of the other thousands of hours through the week, all the other experience, everything else. You get the authority and the say of everything else. What about surrendering it all to him? What about surrendering it all to him? You see, the sugar-coated preaching a sugar-coated preaching, as you see in many, is, is sweet to the taste. It satiates the feelings. It comforts the emotions. And it gives you advice for you on how you to control everything so you can feel comfortable. A comfortable Christianity. With sawed-off edges of the cross and no splinters. Where the flesh doesn't have to feel uncomfortable. No fasting, no devotion. Very, very little authority of God through the day. I'm not in any way, form, or or, or way, or style preaching a law-based Christianity. I am not preaching lordship salvation. I am not preaching law-keeping. I am not preaching uh, Judaistic or cultish commandment keeping but rather it's a choice it's not a have to it's a want to it's a want to you see the lord gives these commandments he gives these instructions yes they're not salvationary but it's a choice why would you not want to why would you not want to follow it why would you not want to surrender to the lord instead of taking up the sugar-coated preaching you take up a time of devotion to the Lord. And you sacrifice the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. You surrender your authority to the Lord and you ask, and you ask His counsel for every issue, every topic. Every situation, every circumstance. You ask His authority. And you say, yes, Lord. You won't hear this. This message today, you will never in a million years hear this kind of thing in a modern church you will never hear this in a progressive liberal church you will never hear this in modern christianity because this is christianity as the apostles taught this is christianity as jesus taught this is christianity as god preaches from his word as we're saved by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. And then the Lord then turns and asks, now will you give up all and follow me? Will you accept my authority for everything? Will you follow me? Will you seek to live for me in everything? Will you bring me into everything, even a cup of water? That nothing is excluded, nothing is too little service to the lord faithfulness to the lord it goes beyond just singing the hymns going to church and and handing out the odd gospel track it's a 24 7 365 devotion 
because you want to, not because you have to, because you want to, because the Lord is inviting you. The Lord is inviting you. Your salvation is not hinged upon it, but a deeper fellowship is. But a deeper fellowship is. The more that we seek the counsel of God, the closer we bring ourselves to the Lord. The closer we walk to Him in fellowship and blessing. Do you not want that? Something to think about. There you go. All right, so a little bit of a heavier one, but I hope I hope you understand this. I, I I'm really trying to to be. What's the word? I'm really trying to present this gently because I I know that a lot of people struggle with these things and in this I, what I wanted to bring up was an answer because we all struggle with something. We all struggle with something. And I, I wanted to bring this up as, as, a, as a way, as Paul is giving it here, as this is the Lord's answer for our troubles, for our struggles, is to learn to, to let go. Let go of the net. Let go of the fear. Let go of the stress. Let go of your life. Let go of your life. The Lord isn't able to heal the mind if you keep holding on to the fears. The Lord isn't able to heal the marriage until you're willing to let go of it. And the Lord can work on it. As we hand it over to the Lord in prayer and fasting and trust and fellowship, the Lord isn't able to work on the life until we're willing to surrender and sacrifice the life. Like Abraham laying Isaac on the altar, we take our own lives and lay it on the altar. Die to self. To crucify ourselves with Christ, to put ourselves in, in the life of Christ-likeness, devotion, to walk out into that wilderness having no idea where we're going, but trusting in the living God that he will show us the way. If we truly want to see the blessings of God, the guidance of God, the wisdom of the Lord, the power of God in our lives, we have to be willing to let go. And it's not about the eating and not eating. It's not about the physical fruits. It's about the spiritual fruits. It's about the spiritual fruits. Beware the doctrines of devils which make you your own God, you your own authority, you are the one that finds the solution. Let go of it. Let go of it all. Because it goes right back. When we blow away all the fluff and feathers, and we, we get right down to the very heart, the root of the thing, it's nothing but the same issue all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You can be as God, knowing the difference in good and evil. You can be as God and figure out the solution for everything you are the authority you're the power you call the shots you're the provider you're the protector it's your strength your life you 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 and god asks would you just die to self would you let go and let me that's what paul's saying these things command and teach there you go So, 
Please give this some thought. Please give this some thought. Again, I know this can be heavy, a bit overwhelming, but again, worry not. It's simple. It just comes down to simple faith. Simple faith. That in every tick of the clock of every moment, something that arises, you just say, Lord, that's yours. Forgive me. Help me. Teach me. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, would you take over? Would you show me what to do? Would you show me where to go? Would you show me what to say? Lord, would you please affect the mind? Would you change the heart? Lord, would you do it? And forgive me for getting in the way. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Simple faith unto salvation. Simple faith in our walk with Christ. It all hinges on refusing to pick up the authority ourselves. It's not about our fruits. It's not about our deeds. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about our sanctification. It's not about our wisdom, our authority. It's all about him. It's all about him. The devil will get you focused on yourself. God wants you to focus on him. Okay? So there we go. So with that, I hope that this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement. I hope this has given you something to think about. I hope this has been a blessing to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. So you know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and content. And uh, we also have a playlist dedicated to these kinds of things about uh, the uh, things that are important for the believer. And, uh, and we got other playlists on salvation. We've got playlists on spiritual warfare, spiritual gifts. And uh, please make sure to check out all our other playlists. We've got tons of information out there. And uh, please avail yourself to it. Feel free to download it. We don't monetize any of our videos, so don't need to worry about that. Go ahead, download them, share them around. And uh, hope that hope this uh, helps. I hope this is a comfort. I hope this gives you something to think about. And with that as well, please make sure to check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and goodies and uh, free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks. Make sure you avail yourself to that as well. And with that, I wrap it up there. So please meditate on these things. Consider these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Serve the Lord in fear and trembling. Trust the Lord and the power of his might. Lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. With that, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, and as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.